the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. When Soren Sku outlined his vision for the future of Maersk back in 2016, he said he thought it would take him about six years to achieve. Well, almost six years to the day from when he detailed those plans at Maersk's Capital Markets Day, he announced that he was stepping down. Having transformed Maersk from a shipping and energy conglomerate to a global logistics player. So, as he prepares to hand over to Vincent Clerk at the end of the year, we thought it would be a good opportunity to invite the man himself onto the podcast to have a chat about the highs and the lows of life at Maersk and what it takes to be a good CEO in shipping these days. And who else could I ask to do the interview than Lois List's very own Queen of Containers and Chair of our editorial board, Janet Porter? Over to you, Janet. All right, well, Sonia, welcome to the Lois List podcast. We're absolutely delighted that you found time to talk to us and just before you stepped down. And um, six years at the top of the world's biggest, most successful, best-known shipping line. So, um, and during which time you completely reshaped the business, you've had um, incredible backdrop of pandemic, cyber attacks, Ukraine war. So perhaps you could just start by telling us um, how did you cope? How did you cope with so many challenges? And um, what have been the highs and the lows? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I guess you just cope with whatever is uh, thrown at you. It's in the nature of the in the nature of the of the role. Um, it's been uh, six and a half years of uh, heavy transformation work. You know, we moved the company from being a, a quite a diversified conglomerate with many different business interests to becoming what we are today, uh, you know, a global logistics company with still uh, uh, an over-focus on, on container shipping, but we're growing our landside logistics very fast. Um, it, we have changed the, the culture of the company. We have changed the digital backbone of the company. and. And in the last few years, we have also started the change when it comes to the uh, climate uh, uh, transition. So lots of things, lots of work going on. And then, as you pointed out, there's also been quite some external events that, that have impacted the business, uh, a cyber attack, a, a trade war between China and the U.S., now a real war, a pandemic, uh, I could go on. So it's been um, interesting and exciting, uh, but also, also, frankly, a lot of fun in the last six and a half years. Well, I've spoken to a few of your colleagues or former colleagues in the last few days, and they all speak so highly of your skills as a CEO, really. So what does it do? What does it take to be a good CEO? Look, I think uh, you can be a good CEO in, in, in several ways. Everybody have their own uh, their, their, their their own style. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm building my I built my career, I believe, on on a very strong analytical uh, capability and quite a good uh, strategic uh, capability uh, but but I you know I'm 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 I listen I listen more than I talk uh, I really try to make sense of, of things before I make uh, make decisions but I do also have I think a pretty clear idea in my mind where I want to go with the company well, I wanted to ask you about that because I was at the Capital Markets Day when you set out the um, vision of the new direction. Is the company now where you expected it to be back in 2016? As I, I think actually it's a quite an interesting exercise to pull out that uh, presentation from the Capital Markets Day in 2016 because what you will see is that you know what we said that we are going to do in 16 is pretty much what we have been done. We haven't wavered much from 
the original concept. I guess at the time we we it was concepts, <laughs> not not detailed plans, and and we had matured a lot in our thinking about what it means to be the integrator uh, of logistics. Uh, but 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 you know we really set out to to build a company that that meets some some needs that customer needs and and solve some customer pain points that we were clearly we clearly identified already back uh, back then and we've been working on it since and we're still working on it i mean the the, the job is job is definitely not done when i saw you interviewed you i think it was early 2019 you said how much um shareholder value had been lost over the previous five or six years and that was really what that was really the trigger point so has that have you now restored the shareholder value to where you think it should be our shareholders now able to get good returns from a company like Maersk? Look everything is uh, relative but certainly in my my six and a half uh, years uh, at the helm you know I think we've done all right I mean I think our total uh, shareholder returns have averaged 16 percent per year for for the six and a half years or so around a 160 percent or something like like, like that uh, you know I, 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 it could have been better if we hadn't had the uh, a war in Russia uh, actually our share has been uh, significantly hit this year just like pretty much most other companies in the world but uh, but I, I do think that we can say that you know we have done a a reasonable job for for the shareholders in the last uh, actually quite a, quite a many years. If I could turn the clock back 40 years to when you joined Maersk, what was it that persuaded you to join a shipping company? Because everyone I speak to says that you're a numbers man. So you could have become an accountant, but you, ch- you chose shipping. So what was, what was, what persuaded you? Well, I, I wish I had a good story about uh, a, a love for ships and the ocean and so on. But the fact was that I joined Merce because they offered a a, a trainee program where you uh, you 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 know you you got paid, so to speak. So you, I went to school for for two hours every morning and then worked for the rest of the day for the last, first two years, sat some exams, and then I had an education. And I'd been paid to to take the ed- education, and and after that. We we got uh, I mean I got sent to the to the U.S. Uh, and again I got paid to travel. That was really the, you know the the first reason for joining joining Merce. I didn't know anything about shipping. I certainly I, I knew of course of Merce because it was a big uh, company in Denmark at the time already. Uh, but but you know it was really more about getting an education, uh, uh, you know, getting a chance to travel and and, and get paid at the same time. Uh, but obviously, as, as I got into the company, I started really to to like uh, like what we're doing uh, in 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 Maersk, the role we play uh, in 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 the world. I think all of us in in container shipping, in all of the companies, I think we all understand that that what we actually do has an immense impact on 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 the world, on the global economy, on on people, on billions of people. Uh, on, on job creation, on wealth creation, on consumption opportunities, and so on, and that's really what has been, you know, one of the drivers for my my, my long tenure in, in this in this industry. I was going to say, did you expect to stay your entire career back then? I I, I probably did not. Uh, actually, I did also leave at some point, uh, but only briefly, uh, for one year. <laughs> only briefly for one year to do an MBA, but then uh, uh, the company lured me back. I didn't actually have a plan to come back, but but I did, and uh, I'm very happy that I did, and uh, it's been fantastic since. But back then, was it clear 
that shipping did need a lot of reform. It was a very old fashioned industry in some respects, parts of it still are. But so were, were you very aware then of the need to modernise and reform and sort of transform the industry? I, I honestly think that the container shipping, we, we spent 30 years from beginning of the 80s until, you know, until the financial crisis, or 25 years at least, trying to figure out how to make it cheaper to move a container from one end of the world to the, to the other. We built the ships bigger and bigger. We fought for market share to get the scale advantages and, and, and so on. And it's, it's truly remarkable the, how low the cost for moving a container has, has, has gotten. It means that you know, our customers, uh, you know, when they decide where to do their manufacturing, transportation cost is not really a much of a factor. It's really much more about labor cost and, and capabilities and so on. And that has been, we have been a, a you know, huge driver of, of globalization in, 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 in that respect. But it was really only in the past, you know, from when I became the CEO in Maersline in 2012 and the ongoing year, years, we were still playing the market share game. We were still playing the cost game. But it dawned on us slowly but surely that it may be very cost-effective for our uh, customers, but they really hated the process of, of dealing with us and and <clears throat> and, and uh, you know all the complexities of of global trade. And that's really what led to our change in strategy, if you will, uh, with the acquisition of Hamburg Süd. We had played the the last uh, inning, so to speak, in, in, the, in the market share game, we had the size we needed to do. Now it really had to be much more about the customer experience and trying to, to integrate the, the, uh, the solutions and, and make it very simple for our customers to do business with us. So there was, I guess, uh, a relatively late, uh, <laughs> a, a late revelation, uh, certainly for, for me, but I'm happy that we, we got to that and that's been our focus uh, now. And look, I'm I'm leaving Maersk with the with the uh, the, the best uh, we we have the best customer satisfaction scores we have ever had, uh, and and I think that that is a testament to you know to the strategy in the sense that customers would like to do business with us they uh, and and but and they like the idea that we should try to make it more simple to ship containers from one end of the world to the other. Well, you've spoken a number of times about wanting shipping to be as easy as buying something at Amazon. How close are you to that? I think we are getting there. I mean, at least in, in uh, for us, we we do uh, a very large number of transactions uh, over our website today. Uh, I think around two thirds of the revenue now flows over the, over Merce.com. and so 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 we're kind of we're, we're kind of getting there, uh, but not yet uh, quite there. In the last um, six and a half years, what we have built. In, in Maersk, we built our portfolio of products, so we have a, a very strong ocean product, of course. We, we now have an, an air product that is starting to make sense. We have an inland uh, transport product, uh, contract logistics, customs, brokerage, and, and so on. So we, we basically built up a suite of, if you will, uh, relatively competitive logistics products. The next stage, and where, where my successor, Vincent Clark, will, really will spend a lot of uh, time that that's really tying it all together to to end-to-end -to -end solutions uh, that are easy to consume for for our customers. So I'd, I'd say we're well well on our way, but but there's still work to do. Now you spent some years um, at Merce Tankers, so could you talk us about talk about that a little bit? Are there 
Well, much you could learn from, well, can containers learn from tankers and vice versa? Or are they two completely separate businesses as far as you're concerned? Look, I had uh, 11 fantastic years as uh, CEO of uh, of most tankers. I mean, it's it's a really uh, interesting and 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 and, uh, and fun industry. Uh, it's you know there are not so, that many people involved, so everybody uh, knows each other. Uh, you know, both on the customer side and on the uh, owner owner side, it's uh, it's uh, quite a volatile uh, business. You have to be able to cope with this. The, that today we are having a party and tomorrow we're going to the funeral, uh, and this constant uh, constant circle. But but I think the people in the tanker industry, you know, just uh, immense fun and uh, and you know, I really enjoyed my my time in in in, in mass tankers. I have to to say, thankfully, container shipping is not that quite that volatile uh, uh, but uh, but you know we, we both in tankers and in in in, uh, in containers I, I have been working with if you will, ways to to organize uh, capacity uh, you know in the tanker pools I was part of the establishment of uh, you know uh, uh, tankers international the first really large uh, super tanker with VNCC pool and you know of course in, in container shipping I've been part of establishing some of the, the, the alliances that we know today the three large uh, or in my, our case the 2M alliance but but the whole concept of, of uh, uh, you know using uh, uh, the alliances to to provide uh, you know better product to our customers uh, you know more more frequency more geographic coverage uh, more more uh, better, better better reliability better transit times and so on so so uh, you know we have to, i have you know tried to take the learnings from my my tanker uh, industry into into container shipping yeah you mentioned volatility. I sometimes think that shipping people actually rather secretly like the volatility. <laughs> but you've also, I mean, a couple of years ago, I think you and others were saying about how maybe container shipping has now become much more stable and predictable. And then now the freight rates have just crashed. So is it just inherently cyclical? Were you ever going to get to a, a stable, perhaps, if I dare say, rather dull situation? Or do you think it's always going I, to be commoditized to some extent? No, I... I, I uh... I think the pandemic has been such a unusual or event that you know basically like a hundred year uh, event that I don't think we can take much learning from the last last couple of years in that respect. The container shipping industry has consolidated a lot. You know, seven eight carriers really matter now. Uh, we have we have the large alliances as as, as well, and I think in in two thousand nineteen and two thousand twenty we saw very very clear evidence that the industry has changed uh, uh, in as much as you know uh, we we offered uh, capacity to meet uh, demand and pricing was very very stable of course we've then had a pandemic where which took things to completely unprecedented uh, levels because we had this bullwhip effect of a sharp increase in in demand and at the same time as a as a constraint on as at the same time as supply was constrained because of uh, covid restrictions and people being sick and all that it it's a very very unique situation and i don't think it's a it's it's a picture for the for the for the future of the industry so do you think we can really can say that container shipping has learned lessons of the past <coughs> and will become more stable more predictable than it has been 
I, I, I do believe so. I guess uh, you know in the next few years we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to to prove that. But but I I, I do think there are a couple of. Uh, important proof points in recent years. The first one was uh, IMO 2020, when, when, when you know we we had to go to uh, low sulfur fuel, which added about 10% to our cost, and in in 20 in the beginning on the 1st of January 2020, and and you know the industry just basically across the board uh, increased prices by 10% to cover the cost. I, I thought that was that was pretty remarkable. It wouldn't have happened five or ten years ago. Um, and, and the other big proof point for me that the industry has changed was what happened when the pandemic hit in the, in the second quarter of, of 2020. You know, we, we took capacity out, we kept our pricing flat, we kept serving our customers, uh, which the last time, and that's a, a very big contrast to the last time we saw a big drop in demand, which was in 2009 on, during the financial crisis. There, uh, you know, a similar drop in demand Resulted in an all-out price war, uh, and and uh, and uh, the, you know everybody kept their networks running at at full capacity for a long, long time before adjusting capacity. So, so I do, I do think it's uh, in, industry has changed, and and I, I, I expect and I also hope that that we will see the you know that that playing out in an orderly manner um, in in the coming years. Obviously. The coming down from these pandemic highs uh, <laughs> will 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 be difficult. To coming down in an orderly fashion, if you will, will be difficult. But uh, I'm I'm pretty confident we'll settle in uh, settle at a at a good level in container shipping. Well, I can just ask you about ships and ship capacities. Um, I was with you at, for the naming of the Musk McKinney Moller, the first eighteen thousand TU ship, and now. There's so many of them, and they're up to 24,000, 25,000 TEU capacity. Has it leveled out? Has it gone too far? Did you ever expect to see ships that size when you joined? Uh, clear, clearly, clearly not. But but I do think that the, you know, we whether we call them ships eight, 18,000 or, or, or 22,000 or whatever, I mean, as far as I understand, it's it's all ships that are 400 meters long and 59 meters wide. And, and you know, so so it's a little bit about... Can we squeeze a few extra containers on, uh, and how do we actually count? Uh, but, 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 um, so, so in my view, shipping has reached its, if you will, uh, jumbo jet 747, uh, Boeing 747 uh, moment. We don't, we, we, I don't see really that we will be going to a new generation of ships. You know, we could say a new generation would be like a thirty thousand. Uh, TU ship that you know would be bigger than 400 meters uh, long. I, I I really don't see that happening uh, any anytime soon because there's always a trade-off between the slot cost and of course the usability or the tradeability of a ship. And I think we we are at the you know we are at the jumbo jet uh, moment. Uh, in the airline industry, they try to go to the A380 and build it even bigger uh, to get the even better seat economics, and 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 it turned out to be a failure because there's simply too few markets where you can where you can use them. I think container shipping is is at that point as well. We need to offer both uh, we need to offer both frequency, uh, transit time, and geographic coverage, and 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 the last ships we have ordered in in Merska are actually smaller than. 18,000, 20,000 TU because of because we value the trading flexibility. 
Could I just ask you a little bit about future fuels, decarbonisation, and whether you think the industry is going to achieve what it's expecting to achieve? Well, I mean, we, we have worked with this agenda for for quite uh, a while now, since 2018. I, I'm, I've been uh, really impressed with the, with the progress that uh, our team has, has has made. When we set out to become not net, net, net uh, zero, uh, when we set our net zero target in 2018, we didn't have much of an idea of how that was going to happen. Um, and, and now we, we have a technical pathway. We also think we have a commercial pathway and and, and we are moving really fast to, to secure the secure the fuel. I, I think it's it's a huge uh, insight for us that, uh, that we can continue to uh, operate our ships with a combustion engine. You know, that's a technology we have known for 100 years. We just need different fuel. It's an equally huge insight for us that, you know, we can actually make, make fuel with sun or wind and uh, some water and a little bit of bio, biomass. Uh, then we have a, a green methanol that we can put in the engine. So, and, and later on, maybe a decade from now, we, will just, we, will not, we won't even need the biomass. We can just do, uh, 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 you know, uh, we can just do ammonia as, 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 as the fuel. Uh, it gives me a lot of hope that this is um, possible. In the last quarter, 3% of Maersk volume were actually moving on biodiesel, so also a carbon-neutral fluid. It's, and, and the customers are paying you know, a green premium uh, for that. So many of our customers have made their own, their, their own targets to become, or commitments to become net zero. So I'm quite confident that we will, we will be able to move the industry quite a lot in this respect. So customers really are prepared to pay more because in the past I've heard a lot of people saying they would be, but then they never did. Now they really are, are they? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, container shipping compared to to other segments like tankers and bulkers, you know, we we have uh, we have customers that have you know very important brands that they want to protect. We have uh, re- retailers that have very important brands that they want to protect, and that they have made their own made their own science-based targets to become net zero. And, and, and of course, they are looking for solutions that they can consume that helps them, helps them towards their own targets. So, so you know, I, I think it's living proof uh, for, for, for us that now 3% of our volume is moving on carbon-neutral fuels. Uh, and, and, and we think that will be uh, even more next year. I mean, we're growing exponentially, uh, of course, from uh, a, a zero base. But still, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a very positive development. That's interesting. So if I could just sort of start to round this up by saying, what, do you, what would you say have been the highs and the lows of the last 40 years? What have been your proudest achievements and any regrets at all? Look, I, let me start by the, the last question. I, I don't have uh, any regrets. I think the industry and Maersk has given me, you know, a fantastic uh, career, lots of uh, great professional, uh, you know, uh, challenges, lots of life, lifelong learning and, and development, I would say. Uh, you know, a, a chance to, to work on, on, truly work on the global scene, uh, you know, I, I've, I've lived and worked in the U.S., in the Europe, and 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 in China, uh, and of course I've traveled to almost every every corner of the world. And but then, most importantly for me has been the, uh, you know, all the people, whether it's inside the company or outside the company that I've met and dealt with and 
negotiated with and collaborated with. It's been really, really fantastic. And, and, and then what we talked about earlier, you know, what we do, the role we play in the world is, has been super meaningful uh, for me. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for container shipping, we wouldn't have the world that we, we, we have today. So, so uh, you know, absolutely, uh, absolutely no, uh, no regrets. You know, there's been, been some lows. Uh, uh, clearly, probably one of the biggest one was during my, my, my tenure in, as a CEO of uh, Model Mersk. We had a, a ship fire which uh, ended up uh, with, uh, in 2017, the Mersk Konam which ended up with five people uh, dying. That was a horrible uh, time. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. And, and you know, it, it really, yeah, it was uh, really made a, made, made, made a mark, uh, made, made a mark on me and, and something that I really, uh, yeah, really truly wish uh, I had not uh, experienced. And, uh, and then, uh, then of course uh, plenty of highs. There's been so many fun moments <laughs> and so many uh, you know great great uh, things that have happened, and I'm certainly happy with uh, where the company is today. So I think my final question is, what next? Yeah, so I've um, I've had a busy uh, busy calendar for many 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 years now. I've been a CEO of something since uh, 2001, so, so uh, you know, uh, basically 22 years, first Mass Tankers, then Maersk Line, and then uh, the last six and a half years as uh, CEO of AP Moller Maersk. Uh, so so I'm, I'm kind of uh, probably done with the CEO part. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll move on to a, a, a little more, uh, a, a calendar with more, with more space in it, uh, I hope. Uh, I expect I will be, uh, I will be, um, Active in, in business in a non-executive uh, capacity. Um, that's one thing. I also uh, expect I will be active in business as an as an investor. And then and finally, I'm really hoping to do uh, some of what what I what I call giving back. So so you know, offering my my uh, if you will knowledge, uh, resources, capabilities, uh, perhaps in a in a teaching context or another context where, you know, I can I can share my my experiences and, and hopefully uh, help others. Uh, that that would be that would be great to to do some of that. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Janet, and thanks for everything over many years. Well, that is where we're going to leave it for this week. My thanks to Soren for taking the time out to talk to us. Uh, we wish him every success in whatever comes next. And I'm going to get an early invitation in for Vincent Clerk, who I suspect is listening to this week's edition. Once you get your feet under the desk, Vincent, we would very much like to get you onto the podcast to discuss what happens next at Maersk. We'll see you in the new year, no doubt. My thanks also to Janet for taking the reins on this week's edition. We are going to be back for one last edition of the podcast before the end of the year, offering you the Lloyd's List editorial view of what the stories are going to be shaping shipping in 2023. But for now, thank you all for listening and have a festive week ahead. <laughs>